0: Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with a good heart. It's a good day for all of us to be here. And you're listening to First Voices Radio, Antiochus and Ghost Horse, sending you greetings and strength on the highlands of the Osopus or what Americans and Dutch call the Caskill Mountains. Regardless, it is the highlands of the Aesopus and the lands of the Muncie speaking Lenape. This is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio, and Liz Hill is a producer of First Voices Radio. You can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as FirstVoicesIndigenousRadio.org for archive, downloading, and listing. Today's guest is Aymar Kokopati, who we had last week on First Voices Radio. Aymar Kokopati is Amara from Uno, Peru. And he's living presently in Rhode Island. And we talked last week about the origins of this present conflict, we begin, which began in December of 2022, and the abuses against Native people, human human rights, uh, by the police and military. Also, we went into a little bit about the ancestral wounds and the unresolved colonial trauma. And now we arrive at this present dictatorship being held by And manipulation, the machinations of how the system worked for someone to be behind the last president and because of procedure to be able to take over and let that power kind of overwhelm her decision making and go opposite of her former boss, Pedro Castillo. So I want to go from there and understand that there is some breaking news that we right after the interview that we will talk about this this time and I want to welcome you again Imar to First Forces radio it's just an honor to hear the news from the global South so to speak thank
3: you for being yeah. here thank you very much for this um he was we're going through this huge shift. I feel it, and it's time to go back into our languages and our roots too. I, I feel like um a spiritual energy uplifting people down in Peru right now because it's laid the whole scam of, of the colonial government. It's just been completely bared where they can't hide it. They can't sweep it up fast enough. There's blood flying everywhere. And people are just laying into it. And it's like, no, these are not terrorists. These are human beings who feel so deeply that everything is constantly stripped from them. That's how we felt for so long, and it's finally not invisible anymore. And people are just the spontaneous protest. And, and you know, they're kind of, how can you expose yourself to this violence from the state? And people have really had enough. You know, mm-hmm. the, it's just, it's tilted the way the tourism has shaped, and, and it's really, I've observed it over the years from different parts in my life experienced of speaking English and Aymara and Spanish and being Peruvian and and North American and being working in and around the tourism industry of it at times, you know, and good things, you know, interactions between native peoples people would bring someone native from North America to share. And you get some good things out of it, but it's oriented in such an extractionist way and You know, and so we're just sitting there and no one's going to Machu Picchu and everything's shut down and nobody's going to move, not one thing, because it's like it's the benefits of these structures of the millions of people around the world that want to go to Machu Picchu or have been to Machu Picchu. It's like, you know what, we are still in uh, an early you know, apartheid situation. who's who's sweeping the floor? Who's carrying the bags? and why are these people not allowed, you know, certain cultural rights or equality? And it's very much a, a peon, like a old landowner, colonial oligarch kind of system at the end of the day who's who's doing the manual jobs? And these people, you know, and then they' and then they're being insulted. they're being called terrorists and 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 vandals. In all these words, when it's really everybody, it's 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 mom and pop, you know, it's hardworking people who would help you in any circumstance with anything they could in a very honorable way, and they're being gunned down by by the tear gas canisters and it's it's just it's just ridiculous. The excuses and the verbiage is such a high flung lie that it's really like the emperor wears no clothes at this point in Peru. <laughs>
0: That's incredible. You you reminded me of the tear gas canisters, is the racist tear gas canisters, because they're coming from, as I read here, the people from Lima, whites, quote-unquote, ind- intellectuals, and how they make fun of the indigenous folks who basically run the country without any formal, formal office, the unspoken, here's your life support system, and you see if that Dictatorship by Dina Boliarte will run without the legitimate part of Native people. The indignancy that is being thrown against these Native people, to me, that's the offense from the start. And this is why, for for some reason, I'm, I'm kind of trying to put together Indigenous peoples in the Western Hemisphere as to why our voices are not heard. Because along with the earth, and you know this, Aymar, uh, is then comes the the voices of indigenous peoples because earth's voice is speaking louder than so far from the West.
3: I think it's, it's really powerful. The moment we're in. And, um, you know, I've always been inspired by African people's experience in Haiti as the first black run nation state, because these concepts of the nation state are very much under the, the magnifying glass by all of us these days, because, For better or worse, it's the structure, the rule book we've agreed to about how to respect each other's rights. But then it's like there's rules for one set of people and there's a totally different set of rules for another set of people. And that's where the pen comes in, you know, and the struggles of my family for Spanish literacy and to be a part of the system. So now now we have lawyers. Now we have, you know, people who can step in and somewhat force the rules to apply to everybody, equally, and so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of good in all this. There's a lot of I think that the concept of civil society in Peru specifically has not been allowed to congeal because of the really native logic characteristics of the place. And without realizing it, you have all these peoples clamoring over themselves 10, 15 years ago to change their last names and murder the last of the linguistic memory of their inheritance. It's not everybody. You know, there's a lot of people absolutely who identify as native. But the Aymara is very different than the Quechua. And like the Quechua had a lot more um, colonial overexposure, I guess I'd say. Mm. So the identity is like, oh, I'm Quechua. But now it's happening to where, oh, I'm Quechua, means I'm native. I think before, um, because of the, the character of the Inca to Spanish moment, everyone spoke Quechua. Everyone had, an, had native fluency at a certain point in the formation of Peru. So I think up until now, in a strange sense, the overabundance, the commonality of Quechua has allowed for some kind of a separation from everything to say, oh, I'm I'm not native because I'm not indigenous because there's an indigenous indigenous movements of the colonial oligarchy where you had these people adopting native forms and then they were shunned in the arts and formation of Peru as a nation state. So I think there's a deepening of the awareness now between city and country and our common genetic ancestry. So why should we live in a state of I don't know what the right words are, colonial kind of um, tensions, frictions. Um, it's the Catholic Church at the end of the day. <laughs> we don't want to say it. And they're, they're stepping in now. They're trying to dust off their, their value or their um, once, um, what's the right word? Their, their once glorious uh, standing in Peruvian society, you know, the Vatican and the Argentinian Pope who's now, it's very interesting the shift that we went from popes in Europe to now we have our first American Pope because of the Catholic church is trying to keep up with all these movements. When at the end of the day, they, they denied liberation theology. Teokasen, if we had had liberation theology in the 1980s begun in the Vatican system, we would have a much more peaceful planet right now. And they said, no, you know more about it than me. I believe, you know, and, and, That was a beautiful movement, the little I know about it. And I always think to myself, like, that could have changed all of this. And the 60-plus dead in Peru right now and hundreds wounded and all these grieving mothers and families, and it's just... And yet the protests do not stop. People are decided. And the government has now really... It's really like the Alamo or something. I don't know. (laughs) The government, the, the Congress has battened down the hatches with the... This has happened how many times in the history of, of Europe across the, across the globe through this colonial process where it's just the fort. It's just that hang around the church and the military. They're just battened down their hatches and they've literally shut out the people. The emperor wears no clothes. It's, the guns are there, the military and the Congress and the president. And they're defending—they're defending a constitutional order, but at this point, they tried unsuccessfully to argue for weeks now that it's terrorists, and that we, um, you know, we have these homemade weapons, um, dum-dum, and that we're, you know, we're Shining Path and uh, MRTA, um, 1980s um, left-wing paramilitary, you know, guerrilla groups, and that we're killing each other. And the police are just innocently trying to, you know, restore order for the mom and pop who want to go grocery shopping. But then the mom and pop who want to go grocery shopping, get whacked in the head, you know, with these tear gas canisters that they're (laughs) supposed to fire up and let it fall. But they're pointing it directly at people. Now it happened in Lima. The most recent guy was murdered yesterday or something. And and it's all video and it's all filmed. And the response is so different. Uh, The capital city in Lima... You know, I so we haven't directly launched into the kind of the right now stuff. We've been kind of out there in the in the metaphysical stuff.
0: Let's talk about that. I'm out of you know, since Boliarte, Dina Bolyarte assumed her presidency that the massacres that you talked about last week, the first and but there was three, one after she got right into office, I think a couple of days later, and then there was three massacres in different regions, southern region. And what happened out of that was it continues the violence. So I'm saying that, yes, we can talk metaphysically, but when it comes to the spirituality of the Native people, like you say, transforming or or transmitting back to their languages, and that's where the strength is coming from. And, of course, the system, military or not, is defining those who come up against it as terrorists. It needs their enemy. In the United States, it was always about The natives being the enemy, the savage, the terrorist, the territory, the land, the people from the land. And of course, that's where we have to sometimes talk about this in metaphysical terms, because they can't. They want the uh, statistics, the numbers, sensationalize them is to see why these peoples who are coming up against a system that's good for everybody, like the Catholic Church you mentioned, Which, by the way, the Global South, especially in South America, quote unquote, has the biggest membership of Catholicism so that they're going to have to dust off their books to come at it in a peaceful manner so that they can accept what's happening to them by the military. And I think part of this is really understanding the whole system of the Western hemisphere because it's the same as it is in South America as it is in North America
3: it's um it's fascinating it is everything and the catholic church is trying to intercede as peacekeepers you know to do begin dialogue because the government stands there and says oh we want dialogue and then then they spray a bunch of bullets they're absolutely functioning from a very militarized police state brutal repression kind of plan so they're undoing any attempts they have no legitimacy anymore in the eyes of the people uh, because they say we want dialogue. And then the ne- very next day, they're out there, you know, taking more lives of the protesters in ways that show a complete and total brutality and unnecessary kind of violence. Because those tear gas canisters are supposed to go up. You're not supposed to point that at someone's head, are you? Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to have a trained school of the Americas type crowd control tactics person someday in a public setting declare what are the rules of engagement, you know, of civil society. And it's all this legal stuff behind that, but um, so that keeps happening, and the Catholic Church is attempting to step in and start some kind of dialogue. The people are kind of demanding no, the the minister of of the interior, right? You know who those guys are, and then the minister of uh, police. Um, then these the the head minister Otarola, should be changed because Peru will always that's what they've been doing for the last twenty years. Anytime things get too wild, the relief valve is to relieve the ministers and shuffle the people under the president. But this president's so weak that she's petrified of shuffling anybody. She's really, it really is the minister who's been putting stuff in her head, gaslighting her, I don't know, and I don't want to take agency away from the first woman president of Peru, but her, and one of her arguments actually was like, well, look, they're treating me as uh, badly as because I'm the first woman president of Peru. And it's like, please don't use that. Come on. Her, her decision-making and her movements really do reflect a puppet for the right wing and for the mineral extraction and really economic hard line that wants to continue the status quo of lithium extraction for the, for the coming green re- re- revolution and the mining you know the mineral wealth, and that's why we have a traditional dance in Peru and Bolivia that I referenced last time of Diablo of Devil dancing, and we have uh, it's it's based around a, a a mix of native and Catholic uh, saints stuff uh, for the Virgin because we are don't believe in the patriarchy, so we are we are Mother Earth, we are Pachamama people, so we're like no, this is the Virgin de la Candelaria, which uh, when you see this big tourist pushes and campaigns to sell a bunch of beer and it's in Puno, you know, it's a very famous Peruvian and it's the native dances of Bolivia and Peru that used to, that were developed to make fun of the Spanish overlords and the extraction, the mineral wealth and the forced mining. And so right now they've suspended that dance, which is a big, big deal. That's been, that dance has been happening annually for hundreds of years, you know, probably, um, since you know the 16 1700s every year and it's it's become this um, you know it's become patrimonial of of the um, of humanity through the um, what are these um, things under the UN when they declare human patrimony of certain events and festivals these big campaigns and it's like we're not gonna dance for any because the the police and the military used to have a, a dance group that would participate and that's how they started thinking, Oh, now we're going to have these people who just massacred us dancing next to us and drinking beer and high-fiving. Nope, not this year. You know, we're, we're done being these um, showcased products of Peru for the world mm-hmm. consumption. And then to have the tourists, it's being questioned severely, the tourist thing right now. And it should, that whole new age kind of spiritualist thing is, is okay, because it's a sincere attempt at, of humanity at large to try to get to be better people. So that's okay, but it needs to be restructured on so many levels. That's a whole nother interview, right? That's a whole nother hour or somewhere else about oh, the, the hijacking he, like, of the commercialization of ayahuasca and yeah, all our deepest, yeah. most powerful uh, spiritual practices of convening with nature and becoming better people and deeply cleaning ourselves and being people consequential to our actions, which is not what we see from the Catholic church kind of side of things and how they're, you know, the Vatican kind of extractivist, the settler thing. And it's like, no, the people themselves of all of our groups, of all of our races and all of our creeds and cultures want to be better. So we do that sometimes through looking for traditional experiences like ayahuasca or like, um, Coca ceremonies, are going and talking to the querdos of Cusco, and the New Age kind of like books that are written to kind of like the Western European mind's loves the um, the achieve the meritocracy. So you have these books to the shaman of Peru, and you can go and you know meritocracy yourself to be you know the Maximo Apu, the Chamacani, and all that all that economy. It's generated through these new age spiritual cults. Really, is like, and it causes infighting amongst the the shamans and the, and the well. I'm not going to use that word. The medicine people of the Andes, and then you know the Cardos are very in demand. The Shipibo are very in demand. All the other tribes that have the same practices or similar inspired practices, reverence and philosophy, mm-hmm. are not benefiting from this structure. And who's benefiting is the middle the middle people who really market this stuff out there.
0: Do you think it's more like or less a result of colonialism where, you know, now you say they're not doing the Diablo dance anymore? That kind of reminds me, I was going to say earlier, with the ghost dance that happened here. The reason why the ghost dance didn't work was because it had the wrong it was mis- It was misinterpreted as we want white people to go away and the buffalo to come back. That's an idealistic statement or thought process, but all underneath it was Wovoka, who initiated the ghost dance, was Christian. And so the natives being wow. uh, uh, not knowing enough about this, this salvation point mentality, that we're all one, that there's one God type of thing, they gave into it because they were on the verge of starvation, especially Lakota, where... We had to really learn how to give to each other. And let me let me add this to you know, that's why they got rid of the arts and culture, because they don't want culture and the arts of the native peoples to overwhelm the tourism. They want control of the of the arts and culture such as Machu Picchu. So of course it makes sense to bring in people like Dina Bullarte because Pedro Castillo was getting to the heart when the exchange of land between Bolivia and Peru was about to happen. I think that is a key point, a key turning point that people are not really looking at. And, and also when we talk about liberation theology, who is that controlled by? So the this it's a multi-point purpose we're interviewing here. So we can go all over the place because that's just how we think. Yeah. So let's do that. Yeah. Okay. yeah.
3: That's fun. And it's yeah. it's lovely to think that way because you really do start to, kind of disassemble and deconstruct this stuff and really question it. But, you know, not not ever with the eye of um, destroying it, more like more like reconfiguring it so that it is an encounter that is tolerable to both parties, because we never were allowed when all of this changed and the Europeans came to America. It was never allowed to be a respectful interaction, like a philosophical one of my one of my favorite books is as an author in Peru, Peralta. He wrote a lot of books, like metaphysical type books. And one of them, I can't remember the name off the title title of it right now, but he sets up a, a philosophical debate, you know, between the the European philosophers of Descartes and all these European philosophers and an Apu, one of the um, alto Misayoks. The Chamacanis of the Andes, you know, and then they have the the jungle the jungle master of the Anaconda people, and it's like he's having these mystical philosophical debates between um, cultures, between points of view, between the Western logic and the native logic, and he's smashing it all up in in written in Spanish, but it's like eight hundred pages, and in there is like um, in Quechua and Aymara, you know, by this author um, Gamiel Churata from Puno. So we've been I think Peru the native people have absolutely taken that control and we never let go of that. We are the art of Peru. You can't really find art of Peru that doesn't reference our native origins and our history. And I think that's powerful to think about and talk about and them deciding not to hold this dance is a big deal. The big beer companies, all these big sponsors, and global kind of tourist entities are suffering, and the Machu Picchu train has the tracks have been destroyed because that used to be a state run thing, and then it got privatized under the Fujimori dictatorship in the '80s, and now it's like a, a international concession, and a lot of these, a lot of the problem right now in Peru it, it, is these contracts are up for new no one's talking about it in the media they don't want you to read about that but it's at the base of it is a lot of extractist contracts are due for renovating for uh, re-signing and if the wrong president is in there he, he or she might question that stuff and whatever people think about uh bolivia as a as a different country and uh, evo morales and uh, but we could go there too. They, you know, Peru's only reaction to the current protests is to blame Evo Morales. And we're terrorists financed now instead of um Russian finance. We're financed by Bolivia and there's bullets and weaponry being transported over the lake of Titicaca in our in our traditional reed boats, wow. which is so stupidly fantastical that it could have been in that in that um novel, in that, you know. Expressionist novel I was just talking about. (laughs) Because, and this is genocide. These are the first steps towards genocide.
0: That is Aymar Copacate, who is Aymara from Puno, Peru. We're living in Rhode Island and describing what's happening currently in Peru, especially Puno. In the first interview, we talked about the origins of the present conflict. We talked about the human rights abuses, the police and military especially about the ancestral wound, unresolved colonial trauma, and this dictatorship. Now we talk about the signs of genocide. We'll continue that in the second half. I'm Teokuzan Ghost Horse with First Voices Radio. This is Leon Bridges, Blue Mesa's...
4: The top. I don't know how much air I got. I will never get used to this. Cause it ain't what it seems. And don't nobody check on me. It's a slow way to go all alone. i don't know.
0: First Voices Radio. My name is Teo Ghost Horse. You've been listening to mark Copacate from Puno, Peru, who is living in Rhode Island. And we're talking about the signs of genocide. Some may not have ever heard before and some you have. It is not to lose focus on what is going on presently in Peru. We continue with Aymar Copacate.
3: It's signaling a certain group of people because we make reed boats traditionally on Lake Titicaca And now, that the the way she's saying this stuff is inflammatory, and it's separating us from Peru. She said this last week: um, "Puno is not Peru," and it's a big thing. Puno, no, and she's clamoring around, stumbling around for what she's saying, and she says these horrible things. And everyone was in shock and offended, just completely offended by her signaling a group or territorial geography and stating that we are not Peru, and we are not Peruvians. I mean, this is, for better or worse, this is our lot. You know, my great-grandfather in Peru would have the military come in and train them, and they would carve uh, fake guns out of old eucalyptus trees to march around. And it's it's why a funny phrase in Peru is saludo a la bandera. It means like a salute to the flag means like a Hail Mary. It means like a completely pointless exercise because you have to like say, hail, hail, hail the king. You know, that's that's why we had our rebellions. <laughs> it's, the history repeats itself, you know, and it's like, oh, my God. So it's so it's it's quite a it's quite a yeah. the social contract is just being smashed to pieces. She's signaling a group of people out for mistreatment or yes. these are it's their fault these are the enemy. Like earlier when we first began talking, you said that this colonial structure always requires the enemy and the natives always need to be that it was someone needs to be there as the enemy or the Muslims or, you know, whatever the, the crusades, you know, this is all repetitive histories, right. Of mm-hmm. this, of this, um, narcissistic European man, the paternalist state, you know, the Pope Pope on earth. I don't know. It's this whole thing that we're struggling to to make better and, and so the Virgin de la Candelaria is not happening this year. The the virgin sacred dance that's built into our agricultural cycles to kind of make sure we have a good harvest in our yearly crops, it's really, for us, it's it's dancing in honor of our life ways and our agriculture and how we feed each other and care for each other. And this is what what is happening right now in Peru is we are um, starting to do the traditional age-old dance protest methods is choking the city because we grow that food we put it on trucks and we feed peru and we fed the world through the things like through the cacao and the potatoes and the coca leaf is is pharmaceutical grade novocaine for all our dental surgeries around the world the the contributions never mind the gold and silver that fueled the colonial empires in the 1400s you know it was last time i mentioned that and they needed that gold and silver everything we've given to this current nation state project around the world you know and all that and it's like okay it's time we don't have to feed you anymore that's what's happening now they don't in puno you know the military has come into puno i mean i there's a lot going on so first she said we're not peru then she walked it back the day after she had to walk it back it was too inflammatory they came down on her from every single different – everyone around her said, how could you say that? So she, she tried to walk it back. Her, her press people tried to walk it back. But this is why there's no dialogue for the current situation, the crisis, because now she says that. Then she walks it back and says, no, I'm just kidding. We want dialogue. And then she sent the military in to Puno. And, this, and no one wants to talk about it. And this morning it's it came out in the national news that two soldiers are um, have uh, like hypothermia or something because they are trapped in the highlands mountains surrounding Puno. The people will not let the military through. They're not able to put the trucks through. The road is blocked. I think they're having to walk. And the soldiers are sometimes, this is something that I think that needs to change in Peru is that Police and teachers, which is a government-paid job, they need to be from the places they are serving. And it's very Machiavellian, and it's an old colonial characteristic. Maybe it's an Inca characteristic, too, to take people from one place and have them serve you in another place so that you don't have your people of your own kind teaching you or policing you and that allows for a severe level of inhumanization you know and a in a very bad tactics and and bad feelings and and repression so the military is not allowed through and they're being forced to camp out above puno which is up a, up around 14 15000 feet and they're not used to these altitudes and there's very heavy video where they're trying, the police and the military, big old convoys trying to get through and, you know, hundreds of people stop them and barricade the road. And two days ago, Dina Boluarte's government said, you know, we're going to, we're going to dis, we're going to unblock the roads because the roads have trees. They'll cut trees over the roads. They'll pile up rocks they will absolutely man these road blockades and they won't give in and they stay there 24 hours a day. They're not doing other things because this is this important, you know, they're gathering around it. They're feeding each other. They're bringing out the storehouses, each family and has a quota of how much to give in so that everyone can eat and, and be, and be well-fed and, you know, live around the fire for a little while for native peoples. That's the rub is, that's okay by us, you know, there's, no, there's nothing lost by giving up the participation in the, in the capitalist thing because we still have our land base, we have our water, we have our, our crops. We are not dependent on the government system. That's powerful. You don't, we don't need – I remember watching my grandmother and then saying, huh, under the United Nations, my grandmother is in a state of extreme poverty. And I'd watch her herding her sheep, tending to the fields, and she has a very great quality of life and was very happy and productive in her life. And she didn't have electricity and running water. So I would sit there and hang out with her and say, you know, wow. Even trying to explain to her sometimes was like a really funny maneuver to try to explain to her that this giant system of some capitalist and some high-rise in Manhattan would say that she's in a situation of extreme poverty, like dangerous warning, we have to fix this. And she's sitting there watching the rain fall and very happy about the yearly crops. And it's like, what's to be fixed? She's just living outside of time, you know, as we were, as we were instructed to do, creators. We are arriving at a
0: time that we have to stop here. I'm Mar from Puno, Peru. Thank you for joining us. Part of this understanding that we're giving to the people is what comes from your your thoughts from the way I'm hearing things and understanding is that. Yes, the people will take back the land, but it's really the other way around for me that I think deeper about it is the land is taking the people back, wherever that is in time, taking people back into the future, taking people back so that they understand that it really is about the earth. And it's the name of why we do things as indigenous peoples is the earth. And it's not like an icon or anything. We can't be putting that into a Western pedestal romanticize the movement or anything. This is what, who we are. We're just being natural because earth is acting natural to something abnormal happening to it.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. It's an organism. It's an intelligence that is far greater than we are of it, but it's, it's, you know, in my explorations, I remember really being profoundly um, humbled and honored to realize that, you know, deeply realize that plants have their own intelligence, the the healing, the medicine plants, and they have their own. They have, they know that we we need to be with them. In tobacco, there's so many plants have mm-hmm. instructed humans to carry them, and it's a communion. And it's these are reasons. There's intelligences behind the way the natural world works. So, one final thought. I just wish for. Um, I'm 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 happy that. The eyes of the world and civil society and lots of other countries in Latin America are stepping up and criticizing this government. The, the, amb- the ambassadors are getting pulled left and right. I think we've, um, Peru has removed ambassadors from Honduras and um, maybe Mexico now. I don't know. The, there's a lot of support for a democracy that in this case is going to need to have an indigenous face on it. There really is no other way. You know, and it shouldn't be this difficult to say we want uh, our place at the table.
0: It's not their table, right? That's the thing. Thank you for not coming to a solution oriented mindset. I felt that you were saying that we've always been there, and no matter what happened to the indigenous peoples, the earth spoke up for the indigenous peoples, and therefore they're still following the natural rule, the natural way things happen. And it's getting away from the mindset of linearity, system thinking, all of those ways that got us off our natural balance of who we are as indigenous peoples. And it's very different than if you and I sat here and talked about a war that's happening over here or there. We'd be so much more into the facts and stats and measure it up and build it up to a crescendo. Or what are we going to do about it? So it's fear on both sides. We We need to talk this out, like you and I have, and really listening to you know your experience as as Aymara uh, from that region of the world. And it's always an honor to talk to you, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon.
3: It's uh, a generational process. Um, we're We're headed towards healing, even if we have to bleed more and hurt more in the current moment. The Emperor wears no clothes. That's
0: right. <laughs> wears no clothes. But thank you again. We say Doksha Ake watinktela. We'll see you again in the circle of
3: life. Thank you. We share all that.
0: And you just heard an interview, first half, second half hour, of Aymar Copacate, who is Aymara from Puno, Peru. I'd like to quote something that is very relevant to what we experience as Native people. This is by Jessica Hernandez, author of Fresh Banana Leaves, from North Atlantic Books, 2022. Throughout my life, I've also learned that it is our resistance and resilience that have helped us survive. However, both our resistance and resilience should not be romanticized, but rather respected. Oftentimes, many stories about our indigenous communities focus on either vulnerability, resilience, or resistance. There is much more to indigenous communities, but people tend to focus on these three because this helps them build an innocent narrative or spread naiveness among settlers and their descendants. If one's lineage is responsible for forcing this vulnerability, resilience, or resistance onto us, one is responsible for working hard to ensure these narratives are no longer needed. This means that settlers have to continue working hard to dismantle settler colonialism while not co-opting or stealing indigenous knowledge, movements, or ways of life. I'll repeat that last sentence. This means that settlers have to continue working hard to dismantle settler colonialism while not opting or stealing indigenous knowledge. Movements are ways of life.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without the light. Taming high tide, low tide, you know night time, the morning time. Yeah. Change on the ride.
1: soldier for a thousand years He's a Catholic, a Hindu, an atheist, a Jane. For the peace of all He's the one who must decide Who's to live and who's to die And he never sees the writing on the wall But without him How would Hitler have condemned him at Dachau? Without him Caesar would have stood alone He's the one who gives his body As a weapon of the war And without him all
0: And that's your friend, Buffy St. Marie, with Universal Soldier. So true. And you are listening to First Voices Radio. I'm Teokus and Ghost Horse. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprouts, Spotify, as well as First Voices Indigenous Radio.org for archive, downloading, and listening. <laughs>